Our scripture today comes from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 22. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered wants for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, COV. I am so excited that you are watching our playlist, and I am honored to be able to bring our message to you today. If we haven't met yet, I'm Ruth Zilka. I am married to Kyle, and we have two kids, our son Parker, who is 11, and our daughter Eliza, who is 9. And something I want you to know about me is that I really love to teach from God's Word. I believe God has a message for each of our hearts as we continue in our first Peter series. We'll be finishing up chapter three today. And before we dive into these verses, I'd like to pause and just pray for us. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for today. Thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word. Lord God, I just ask that you would come, that you would equip me, that you would lead, that you would allow me to speak clearly the message that I believe you have for us today. Father, I pray that our hearts would be open to your truth and Lord God, that you would move in mighty and powerful ways. We thank you for your word, Lord, and this opportunity to study it. In your name I pray, amen. So if you don't already have your Bible or your app open to 1 Peter 3, would you turn there and join me as we start in verse 15? So 1 Peter 3, 15. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. The very first word of this verse gives us a clue that we need to look back for context. These types of transition words such as but and therefore are there to connect verses and to show us that we should look back in order to make sure that we fully understand context. Last week, we had four young adults from the COV staff preach and God used them and they did an incredible job as they taught us from verses 8 through 14. So let's go back a few verses to remind ourselves why Peter is instructing his readers, the exiled Christians, and us, 
to be prepared with gentleness and respect. So let's read 1 Peter 3, 14, or 13 through 14. We're going to skip ahead a few verses. And they say this. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. So Peter has just finished encouraging his readers, the followers of Jesus Christ who are exiled and being persecuted, to be humble, to not repay evil with evil, to be like-minded, compassionate, sympathetic, to not fear threats, and to not be frightened. And this is all coming from a man who did fear threats and was frightened as he denied Jesus three times on the night he was arrested. So as we continue to verse 15, our text for today, we can see how this all connects. Peter is now giving more instruction and practical application for the attributes he was encouraging his readers to live out in the previous verses. And Peter says to revere Christ as Lord. We are called to honor Christ as Lord, to stand in awe and fear of who he is and what he has done for us. As verse 15 continues, we, re we read this, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. These exiled and persecuted Christians are being encouraged to live in such a way that others see hope in them. Peter is encouraging us all to be prepared. But what stands out the most to me is the reason he gives for why others ask questions in the first place. And that reason is hope. The question I began to think about is this. Am I living my life in a way where people see that I have hope? Is my hope in Christ central in my life? Does it exude out of everything that I do, everything that I say, everything that I post on social media? What does my hope look like to others? Peter was writing to a specific group of persecuted believers who were suffering. But we are living in a unique time in history where suffering is a universal struggle. Our normal has been stripped away. People have lost jobs, gotten sick, lost loved ones, lost connections. A virus has run rampant throughout the world. While struggle and suffering will look unique to each person, we are living in a time in history where we can all sympathize with one another. There is a common struggle and a common loss. So as believers, does our hope shine through? Does our hope shine through? Does our hope cause people to wonder where it comes from? And are we ready to tell them? To be prepared means we know what we believe and why. Now, I am not saying that this means we need to have a seminary degree or a perfectly articulated gospel presentation. 
It means that we are spending time in God's word. We are growing, we're learning, and that we are willing to share God's story of transformation in our lives. It is not about perfection. It is about pursuit and pursuit that is evident through our words, our actions, and how we spend our time. We aren't called to just slam an answer in someone's face. Peter tells us to do so with gentleness and respect. And we read on in verse 16 and it says this, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Peter is once again touching on the attributes of gentleness and respect that he encouraged wives and husbands with earlier in chapter 3. And Peter is now calling all believers to extend these characteristics into other areas of their lives so that those who ask about their hope are treated with gentleness and respect. So that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now we cannot control what others say or think about us. And we are not defined by others. Our identity is rooted in Jesus Christ. But we must be careful to live in such a way that our actions and our words do not offer ammunition or they do not fan the flames of slander. In 1 Colossians 4, 2 through 6, Paul tells us this. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim Claim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. We must keep watch over our lips, our social media posts, and how we live our lives. Our conversations should be filled with grace and seasoned with salt. Because what does salt do? Salt makes things taste good. Our reflection of Christ's character should put a good taste in people's mouths, not a bad one. It should make them want to know more, to be curious and to ask questions. We need to pray for wisdom, discernment, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to lead us during these conversations. Because it is not about us or our knowledge. It is about being open and willing for God to use us as we share the gospel and live in a way that points others to Jesus. Let's read verse 17 and 18 from 1 Peter 3. It says this, for it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. 
He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Peter is preaching to the choir here. His readers know what it is like to suffer. And they know that suffering is often part of God's will for our lives. And we are no different. We are not promised a life full of sunshine and roses, but we are promised that we serve a God who will never leave us and will never forsake us. We serve a God who never changes, who allows suffering, but who can also use suffering for our growth and his glory. Let's pause and think about some of our suffering in life. Some of our seasons of hardship. I know for me personally, these times in my life have often produced the most fruit and the most growth in my walk with the Lord. And while many of them I have no desire to relive again, I am grateful for the experience and how I saw God get glory and for how he grew me in those seasons. And verse 18 is bringing the truth. This is the gospel message. It says, For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus came to this earth as a baby, lived a perfect, sinless life, died once for all the sins of all creation. He took our deserved place. He submitted to the will of the Father, giving up his life and dying on a cross for you and for me. Jesus' work on the cross does not need repeating or revision. Once and for all. He was perfect, spotless, sinless, righteous. The righteous for us, the unrighteous, in order to bring us to God, to grant us eternal life with the creator of the world, the Godhead three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is grace, undeserved merit or favor, the righteous for the unrighteous so that we could be made clean, so that we could be made righteous in his sight, not because of anything we have done, but because of what Jesus did for us. Peter reminds us that suffering has redemptive purpose. He is encouraging his readers and us with this truth because Christ brought about the atonement of sin, the redemption of humanity. We should look at suffering through its sanctifying and redemptive purposes. Now, this doesn't diminish the pain of suffering. It just simply shifts the focus. This doesn't mean that we can't grieve or process our emotions when we are suffering. It just means that we need to find rest, strength, hope, and purpose in our God. Trusting that he will grow and sustain us through trials. When I was growing up, there was a woman in my church who suddenly and tragically lost her husband. And I remember being told about her response to this life-altering tragedy. And she said this, I have two choices about how to deal with this trial. I can do it well, or I can do it poorly. And I want to do this well. 
we have a choice. We can look at suffering and want to do it well, not because we're going to look strong and awesome, but because it will bring God glory and we will grow. Or we can choose to do it poorly and waver, making it all about us and possibly missing out on an opportunity to be used, to watch God show up and show off, and missing out on an opportunity to give God all the glory. Let's pick back up again in verse 19. It says this, After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. Let's just pause here for a second and say that this verse and a half is a doozy. (laughs) Every commentary that I read while I was studying, started the section on verse 19 with this statement. And I quote, This is one of the hardest verses to interpret in the entire Bible. (laughs) Just a little bit intimidating. Thanks, Tim. But really, we do have three interpretations of this verse that I want to share with you. The first is that between Christ's death and resurrection, He descended into hell and preached to the spirits of those sinners who perished in the flood at the time of Noah. The second interpretation is that Christ, through the Spirit, preached through Noah to the people who were alive in that day. Then, subsequently, they died and faced judgment, and they are now in prison, in hell, though they were not in hell when Jesus preached to them through Noah. The third interpretation is that Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension were the most powerful proclamations of victory over the most extreme powers of evil, which are symbolized by the imprisoned spirits. And Jesus' victory over death sealed their condemnation forever. While we don't fully understand what the passage means, and honestly, I'm not 100% sure where I land on the different interpretations either, and I really think that that's okay, I do want to point us to the things that we do know for sure from these verses. The first, we know that God speaks. Second, we know that God triumphs. And third, we know that God saves. And what I do know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that Jesus was, is, and will always be victorious. We want to use scripture to interpret scripture. And the first two interpretations lack a clear scriptural backing. And with the third interpretation, we, we know that Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension were powerful acts over evil. And his death and resurrection will preach. But we also know for sure from scripture that Jesus died and rose again. Paul gives us backing for this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4. And I'd like to read those verses for us. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. We must keep the gospel message, the fact that Jesus died and rose again, the main thing. 
we know that Jesus is victorious. And we'll read later in verse 22 of chapter 3 that all angels, authorities, and powers are in submission to him. And we know that Jesus proclaimed this truth. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was God's plan to save humanity. And Jesus' victory is where we should focus. So why does Peter throw Noah into the mix here? There are many similarities to Noah's time and to what the exiled believers were experiencing. And all of this connects to us today as well. Peter is pointing to the evil and the disobedience in Noah's day that so deeply grieved God's heart, leading to his judgment through the flood. So let's pick up our passage back at the end of verse 20. It says this, In it, the ark is what he's uh, referring to here, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. These verses right here are another great example of why context is so important. Because at first glance, these verses sound confusing and really contradictory to what we at COV believe about baptism. But if we read these verses in context and we don't stop halfway through, we see that Peter is not saying that baptism saves us. He's not saying that. But instead, he is saying that it is a representation of our internal pledge. That baptism instead is a representation of our internal pledge. Our submission to Christ as Lord over our lives. It is an outward expression of an inward change. And that is what we believe about baptism at COV. The act of baptism does not save us. Jesus saves us. Now the eight people in this verse refer to Noah, his wife, his sons, and their wives. And we read Noah's story in Genesis chapters 6 through 9. And I want to read just a small portion of Noah's story to help us have more context for 1 Peter. Genesis 6, 5 through 8 is what we're going to read. And it'll be on the screen so you can follow with me. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals the birds and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah's life was such a stark difference from the other humans of his day that he found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord chose to use him and to save him and his family Noah walked faithfully with the Lord, 
And the Lord told him to build an ark that would save him and his family, along with two of every kind of animal and creature on the earth. Noah was willing to live out his faith in a very obvious way. He literally built a giant boat in the middle of a drought, not anywhere near water, because he trusted God and was obedient to God's call for action. One of my favorite verses in this story is Genesis 6:22. It's short and simple, but it's beautiful. And it says, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. God gave instruction and Noah obeyed. Simple as that. God gave instruction and Noah obeyed. In a world where everyone else's sin grieved God, Noah listened and he obeyed. Now everyone around Noah saw his faith being lived out. They mocked him for it. They thought he was crazy. But Noah did not stop because, and because of this, the animals and Noah's family were saved through water. Now God used water as a means of destruction for Noah's contemporaries. But God also used water as a means of deliverance into a fresh start for Noah and his family. The ark only functioned as a vessel of safety when the flood waters came. Noah and his family were saved as the destructive waters rose over the earth, allowing that ark to float. God saved Noah's soul, but the water saved his physical life. And just like the act of baptism, the going under the water and the coming up does not save us, Jesus saves us. So the waters of baptism represent the death of our old selves as we go under the water and the newness of life found in Christ when we submit our lives to him as we emerge from the waters of baptism. We deserve death. But because of Jesus, we are made new. We find rest, peace, hope, refuge, and safety in him. Just as Noah found refuge in the ark. Chapter 3 ends with a reminder of Jesus' power and how he sits at the right hand of God the Father with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Jesus was, is, and will always be victorious. We serve a mighty and a powerful God, one who is to be revered, followed, and obeyed. We have the opportunity to have a personal relationship with the creator of the universe, the God who created us in his image, who loves us, who sees our suffering, who sent his son to this earth to suffer on the cross for our sake. So are we being obedient? Are we pursuing him? Are we trusting him? 
Are we bringing our struggles, our trials, and our triumphs before him? Peter wrote to encourage believers who were suffering. He pointed them to Jesus' suffering, and he encouraged them to allow the hope of Christ to shine through in their lives. These believers looked different from the pagan culture around them. Their hope stood out. Is there a stark difference between us and the pagan culture of today? Do others around us see a difference in us so that they are intrigued enough to ask about our hope? Or do we just blend in? It's much easier to blend in. To be a nice person or a moral person. But are we called? We are called. But we are called to more than that. We are God's workmanship created in his image. We are called to live as strangers in this world for our hope to shine through. We are called to proclaim the truth through our words and our actions. We are called to point others to Jesus and to give him all of the glory. May we find rest in the truth that Jesus knows suffering. He knows sacrifice and his love for us runs deeper than we will ever, ever know. We have been in this pandemic for a long time. We have walked a challenging road that no one ever expected. We have experienced a lot of loss, a lot of change, and lots and lots of uncertainty. But one thing, I know beyond a shadow of a doubt is that Jesus is victorious. God is in control and we can find peace in our Heavenly Father because he is our source of hope and joy. May we find encouragement through God's work in our lives over these past months. I'd encourage you to pause and perhaps even write down ways that you have seen God work, move, grow you and show up while we have been dealing with a global pandemic. I know for myself, I have felt God's comfort as I have grieved lost expectations. I've watched God equip me to talk about hard things with my kids. I have been blessed with intentional time with my family. And I know that God has given me strength and peace when my mind really wants to wander and worry. So take some time to think about how God has been moving in your life. Write them down, bring them to our Zoom call today, or send them to Tim. Send him an email. He would love to hear how you are growing in this season. We serve a good, good God in whom we can put our full trust. May you be encouraged today. And may we find hope in a God who never changes, who never fails, and who is in complete and total control. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you for what we just learned about in 1 Peter 3. God, thank you 
so much for the fact that you sent your son to this earth to die a horrible death for our sake. Jesus, thank you for the cross. God, may we not take that lightly. God, may our hope shine through. May people see it in everything that we do so that they are curious and want to know where our hope comes from. And God, may you equip us to boldly proclaim your truth. And Father, we thank you that you are in control. We thank you that you know all things. And we thank you that you are our source of strength, hope, peace, and joy. I commit everyone who has watched this to you, Lord God, and ask that you would move, that you would bring to mind the ways that you have been growing and moving in their lives over the last several months. And may we truly pause to reflect, to thank you, and to give you all the glory. And we pray all this in your name. Amen.